Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's April 29th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, uh, or you can try to email me, Jason at overthecap.com. I'm once again way behind on those emails, but uh, hopefully I'll catch up on some of that soon. Um, Didn't get a chance to do the podcast last week. I did actually have a small window where I thought I would do it. I didn't have the numbers on the Jalen Hurts extension. I didn't have the complete numbers, so I wanted to hold off on that. The next thing you know, Aaron Rodgers comes down, so uh, ended up holding off. So we'll cover those things tonight. Obviously, the draft was this week, so maybe I'll do a little bit of draft stuff on some of the trades in the first couple rounds, but uh, maybe we'll do more on the draft next week uh, if we can do a podcast again. Uh, As usual, I'm joined by Nelly, Nelly the Bunny. Uh, Nelly, anything? No, Nelly got a treat, so Nelly's happy right now and uh, I think snacking on some hay or something. Um, now that she's finished with the treat. Uh, beer of the evening tonight. We've got the Zigmeister Shipwright IPA. Uh, this is a local brewery to here. They're in uh, Hackettstown, I believe. Uh, yeah, Hackettstown um, is where they are. They have gone there before. Um, nice little place. Uh, they have a pretty decent selection of, um, of beers there if you happen to live in the area or you just are... Uh, up in the Northwest Jersey Corridor for some reason. Um, you can always check them out. Uh, but this is their Shipwright IPA. Uh, it's a pretty decent one. You know, it's not uh, not something that's too overly powerful. Uh, certainly much better than the Michelob Ultra I had been drinking for uh, a little bit of time there. But uh, certainly not something that really hits you, like, over the head. You know, kind of a medium-ish uh, kind of feel, I think, to it. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty decent one. So I decided to go with, uh, this one tonight. So this will be the beer of the evening. And, uh, unless I get a bunch of Twitter questions, uh, hopefully I won't drink too, too many of these. Um, you know, and hopefully I won't get too many questions. I, I would think being that this is still right now we're in the, uh, the phase where everybody's going nuts over undrafted signings. Um, I'm going to assume that probably won't get too many questions tonight. Um, you know, I didn't even put out anything earlier today, so we'll see, um, if those questions come in and this ends up being a mega podcast episode or is, uh, more in line with like an hour, hour and a half. So I think where I want to start is Aaron Rodgers, even though all this stuff kind of feels like old news at this point with the draft and Lamar Jackson having agreed to a contract, but we, nobody really has any details on that just yet. Um, do Hertz, I think second. So we'll do Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Jets and Packers finally come to an agreement there. This was, it seemed very clear that this was a Woody Johnson get the deal done kind of trade because this really did not fit anything that the Jets had done in the past when it came to a trade. Um, This also really did not make much sense when you look at the trade compensation that was given. If this is what the Jets were going to give up, I mean, this was a deal they could have done two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever it was that Rodgers went on McAfee's show and said he was uh, ready to become a Jet. Um, This trade could have been done then because the the Jets really gave up a lot in this trade. So the, the total trade package here is the Jets give up the 13th pick, the 42nd pick, the 207th pick, and they give up a pick next year. Uh, they bring in the 15th pick. So that was basically a pick swap. You know, the Jets moved down two spots. I don't think that's that big of a deal. They bring back as well pick number 170. Uh, but the, the real big thing here is the, the 
fourth pick that they give up uh, in this trade, which is a second round pick that's conditional. But the condition is basically a useless condition. I mean, the, the only thing that would ensure that Rodgers doesn't hit this trigger basically would be injury. Uh, if Rodgers plays in 65% of the snaps for the Jets this year, that pick becomes a first-round pick. Now, you might say that the, the Jets are going to be a playoff team, so I, I valued this at the 25th pick in the draft. Um, you know, it could be higher, could be lower. Hopefully it's lower. But I, I was genuinely surprised that the Jets gave that up without, at the very least, a condition of a, a playoff appearance in 2023. You would think that that would be the bare minimum that would trigger um, that escalating to a first-round pick. Uh, you know, they, they didn't get that. I, I thought that what made more sense would have been, you know, just a couple of pick swaps maybe along the way, a couple different things that you would do. And if you were going to give up potentially a first-round pick, that it probably should have been in 2025. Um, the way that would work actually is you would do a 2024 second round pick, you know, like the like they have here. But you would really have that condition be tied to Aaron Rodgers actually playing for the Jets in 2024. Um, you know, and then in 2025, what would happen is the Packers would get the Jets first round pick and the Jets would get the Packers second round pick, you know, repaying them for that uh, pick that they took in 2024. Because you, you can't tell on a retirement uh, or if a guy is going to play or not, you you can't really do that with a uh, you know a, even a May time frame of a draft pick. So you you would have to have the season play out. So I, I thought that's what would have made the most sense. But you know the 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 Jets give up a lot here. Um, you know in in what they do. You know what when you you bring in um, all the numbers. Um, you know and, and you you factor in the the big salary that's here. And some of the other stuff, you know, th this is basically like the Jets giving up the value of like a high first round pick, um, you know, to, to bring Rodgers in. So, I, I mean, it, you can look at them, um, you know, a number of different ways, but I mean, it, it's a, it's a huge amount to give up, um, you know, for that. Now, I know there's going to be some people that are going to discount this stuff tremendously and you're going to look at those second round picks and say, well, really, we shouldn't even be valuing it as a first rounder. We should be valuing it as a third rounder. It's like, come on, you know, just absolute nonsense when it comes to that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a in a game of chicken. The Packers are the team that won that game of chicken. So, you know, I put a poll on Twitter Um Basically, just to see what Packers fans and Jets fans thought of the trade and, you know, what would and wouldn't make it a success. And I think from the Packers point of view, I agreed with, I think what came out on top of this, which was that the trade is already a success for Green Bay. Um, I think the second most popular choice, I, I think, was that Jordan Love needs to be great. And I know there's some people that would say, well, the two really aren't related but I can see where you're kind of coming from the perspective of, you know, we're trading away our MVP historical legend quarterback. Well, we need a guy to come in and be great. Um, you know, less, 
uh, was you know what they did with the picks that came from the Jets. But I, I think I, I would go with the, the feeling that if we're evaluating process on this and we're evaluating overall outcomes, I mean, this is a great return for them. You know, it, it's, it's a lot of value in the sense that you're probably getting a number one and a number two. Um, you know, for, for a player who had a massive salary, has pretty much a broken contract. So not only are you getting a number one and a number two, you're getting this contract headache off your hands. You're getting this headache of year to year, you know, what Rodgers are you going to get, right? Last year, you got the surly Rodgers, the, you know, I'm aggravated again Rodgers, even though he just signed a new contract worth $50 million a year. You know, he came into that training camp and season just seemed like, again, he was just not in favor of anything. You know, maybe he didn't like the way the draft went. Maybe he didn't like the way free agency went. Um, you know, just didn't seem to be in tune. Got in tune by the end of the season. You know, seemed to be playing better and seemed to be more focused, you know, on everything. But uh, clearly that didn't seem to be the way early in the year. So I, I think that in that respect, this is already a win for the Packers. Um, you can argue what they're going to end up actually end up doing with those picks. Uh, but I, I think in terms of um, getting as much as humanly possible out of this, they basically took Woody Johnson and just abused him and created this kind of trade. Um, now, from the Jets fans' perspective, it was a, a very big split among the answers. Um, I don't remember which one actually came in first. Where I would lean on this would be, I think the Jets need to make the AFC Championship game. Um, now, that could be this year. If you get two years of Rodgers, that could be next year. If you get three years of Rodgers, it could be any any one of these years. I think that's the that's the outcome. I, you, you can never say, in, in my opinion, even though I'll, I'll probably say, well, it's Super Bowl or bust. You can never really say Super Bowl or bust uh, for a team. It, it's just, it's such an unrealistic goal. Um, I think to get that far and sometimes all the fluky stuff that can happen along the way, I think getting to where you're at that kind of elite playoff level, which to me is the championship round, I think that probably would make this a a successful trade, um, you know, for the Jets. The other options were uh, just a playoff appearance. And I think it was pretty split. I think it was like basically a 30-30-30 split between those three choices and then the remaining 10% went to, well, it's already a win. I, I don't see how anybody could say that about this trade from the Jets' perspective. Um, was it exciting? Sure. Is it cool to have him in a Jets uniform? Absolutely. But if we're talking about this, that the best day of this trade is the press conference, it's a bad trade. right? We, we just want that press conference to be any old day. Um, you know, for, for the organization. Uh, so, you know, Rogers was fine at the press conference. I thought he actually handled that extremely well. The questions about his uh, number, the way he kind of talked about, um, you know, this, you know, being here for a longer period of time, understanding the Jets gave up a lot to get him and, you know, doesn't want it to be a one and done. You know, I, I thought he was very good, uh, with the way he did that. He looked happy. He looked, energetic, uh, said he's going to tend offseason stuff. I saw tonight he's at MSG with a couple of the other guys on the team. You know, that did not seem to be the kind of stuff that was going on this last couple of years in Green Bay, at least. Um, 
So it seems like I'm a pretty motivated guy, I, I think, to play. And now, if you just let let's take out the other stuff from it, you know, the 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 trade value and what you give up and the contract and all that other stuff. I mean, you should be excited to have Aaron Rodgers here. You know, is it the best thing long term for the Jets? It might not be, but the Jets were going nowhere right now. You know, this this whole rebuilding plan for the Jets has been a colossal failure. All right. And it's not just Joe Douglas. This dates back to Mike McCagnin. It dates back to John Idzik. It has been a colossal failure. That you, you can't spin it any other way. The Jets have gotten basically two really exceptional players, both happened to be last year, in the draft. Everything else that's gone on with the, 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 the baby Jets and everything else, it none of it is that impressive. None of it has been good. None of it has really been anything. There's a reason why you have to pay through the teeth to bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers because everything else that's been done has really just been a failure. If you get the good Aaron Rodgers, I think this probably puts the Jets' floor now at I would guess nine wins. Um, I, I think the Jets are basically, if you take quarterback out of the equation, they're probably like a four-win team. You know, something like that. I would imagine a player like Rodgers, you know, should increase that at least to nine. So I, I think your range of outcomes that you're looking at are anywhere from like nine to 12, uh, maybe even 13. You know, I, I think that's probably your range of realistic outcomes and you're just kind of playing everything in quarters, right? Three and one, three and one, three and one, three and one. You know, that that's the kind of stuff that you're probably looking at um, when you get into the season. And I, I think you have to be excited because, you know, he changes the dynamic completely for the team. So he's going to run the offense. So the head coach can now kind of concentrate on the defense, which is more his side anyway. So I think he can put way more attention on that. And... You know, you, you have a chance now, I, I think, for this defense to be different than last year, um, but more effective, maybe, maybe in a different way. Like, the, the Jets' defense last year was probably a bit overrated. And I, I think when you look at this, you would say it's unlikely that the Jets are going to get the same kind of season out of Quinn and Williams. I think that it's going to be unlikely they get the same kind of season out of DJ Reed. Those guys basically both hit I think the highest kind of highest percentile that they could be at with Reed, there's more of a history than Quentin Williams. So I think with Reed, you, you would uh, probably say much more likely that there, there's going to be a decline there. Um, you know, but I, I would say both of those guys will decline. I'm not worried about Gardner at all, but I think this gives you a lot more opportunity now, um, you know, to have situations where teams are not going to be able to play the style they played against the Jets last year which is basically we don't have to do anything because their offense sucks. So it, it takes away some of the liabilities that you have with the linebackers. Um, you know, it takes away some of the liabilities that maybe you have with the safeties. And it plays more into the Jets' hands of the fact that, I, you know, they just want to go out there and just kind of go, all right, well, we're going to have our guys go up against your guys. And, you know, the Jets might not have kind of complete pass rushers, but the Jets have these guys um, like a Huff or something like that, that if you are forcing teams into more obvious passing situations, these are guys that can probably thrive in that kind of environment. 
Um, you got Johnson, who's going to be going into his second year. You you would hope that he can play more in that range. You've got the kid they just drafted this year, who, you know, freakish athlete. Um, you know, again, those players. Are you going to hit your peak as a rookie? No. Can you contribute as a rookie? Absolutely. And I think the Jets are built that way, to where you can bring him in on third and long. You can line him up wide, and you can hopefully let him have a shot at getting the quarterback. So I kind of think that with the changes that you might see on offense, that you can have these improvements that occur on defense, even though some of the other guys maybe don't have the same season that they had last year. So I think that's going to be a big help. I think offensively, um, you know, I, I think Wilson, you know, we, we still don't know what the ceiling is for Wilson. I think we know that there's a uh, you know pretty high floor that's there. Question is just going to be, you know, what kind of chemistry can he develop with Rodgers? Will Rodgers have that trust in him to, you know, kind of treat him like a Devontae Adams type? Um, you know, he's got Lazard there, so he's familiar with him. So obviously, you know, you're going to have to earn your targets, um, you know, from Rodgers. But I, I would imagine that would happen. Uh, you've got Hardman that can kind of stretch the field a little bit. You've got Corey Davis, if he's around, that can stretch the field a little bit. So, you know, you, you've got these guys on offense that can probably do some damage there in the passing game. I think Conklin could probably catch a ton of balls in this offense now. Uh, the question is just how many times does the ball also hit the ground? Um, you know, and, and will that shatter uh, whatever, whatever kind of confidence that Rodgers would have throwing to him? But I think the way that you, you watch Conklin play last year, I think he can definitely get open. It's just a question of how well he'll do once he's open. But, you know, this gives you a functional offense. And it gives you the ability to compete with some of these teams. Now, are you going to have the same offense as the Chiefs? No. But you can certainly go out there and you can compete now. And if you can get that defense to, you know, play at a higher level, and a lot of things on defense sometimes are contagious too. So, I mean, if you can get your guys really dialed in, you know, the way that they, they kind of checked out at the end of the season, in this case, when you're going to be more in a playoff hunt, maybe they're dialed in more. Um, you know, may, maybe you can, you know, get everything. And obviously the guys on the team are super pumped for Rodgers to be in. So in that respect, this is really exciting. Um, I don't care about the Jets being on Sunday night and Monday night. Look, I'd rather be asleep. I'd rather watch the Jets play at 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock than playing at 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night. Uh, I, I understand why the, the team wants to be on in prime time. I don't really care about that stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it's exciting that the Jets are relevant. Um, and I have to believe that they'll actually be relevant for the season. So I, I think in that respect, you, you've just got to be excited about the trade, even again if in the long term... It doesn't work out. And this is probably very similar to when um, the Packers got rid of Favre and Favre went to the Jets, that it was probably one that you're going to view at, that you're going to view and you're going to look at it and say, okay, for the short term, this is probably going to make the Packers worse, but for the long term, it's going to make them better. And in the case of getting rid of Brett Favre, it was just getting rid of that whole headache. But, you know, it's not like the it's not like Rodgers came in, took over that job in his what was it, his third year when he when he started playing and was lighting up the league. You know, it took a season basically for them to uh you know get back, I think, to being a playoff quality team. And they'll certainly be thrilled if Love, 
you know, is able to do anything remotely close to what Rodgers did uh, in his career. You know, and from the Jets' point of view, you know, this is one that is great for the short term. And then it's a question of what happens in the long term. Now, I had a number of questions about Aaron Rodgers' contract because there's so much stuff floating out there that, oh, well, he's so happy to be on the Jets. Just wait till you see this new contract. Oh, he, he's, a, he's agreed to a lesser deal. So far, none of that is accurate. So what occurred here, <clears throat> and this is something that I, I figured would have happened, but I, I thought it would have been a little different than this, and it, it might be me not understanding the rules completely. When you have an option in a contract, the way the NFL treats it is once the league year begins, um, that option proration for this year, they make it stick on the cap. If you trade the player, if you cut the player, um, not if you June won the player, I think, but if you certainly on a regular release and in a trade, they will make you hold the proration uh, for this year. So for the Packers, that would have meant Aaron Rodgers' dead number this year would have been um, about $55 million uh, versus the 40.5, I think it is, the, the $40 million number or so that it is. It would have really spiked up. So I thought what they had to do, which was just kind of a technical thing, I thought they just had to change the option exercise date uh, to where basically instead of having it be from the beginning of the league year to... Um, uh, the last week of the preseason, I think it is, or maybe, maybe it's uh, like September 1st or something like that, maybe a week before the regular season, that they would have had to do it like on June 1st. Um, like, you know, something like that. That would have occurred, something that would have occurred after the trade to where they wouldn't have had that ability to even exercise the option. So the proration wouldn't have stayed with them. I thought that might be the way that works, um, but it didn't work that way, I, I, I guess. But that that's not what they did. Uh, the other option that I thought they could have done was they could have removed the option bonus completely and put in what's called a trade bonus. And that would be something that basically triggers only if uh, a trade happens <clears throat> and the trade kicker comes in and basically we get treated as a signing bonus by the new team. Uh, they didn't go that route either. So what they ended up doing to make it work for all parties is they took Roger's salary for this year. And they reduced it to the minimum. So $1.165 million. Plus, he still had a $50,000 workout bonus. So that allowed them to avoid that $14.5 million or $14.6 million in proration from sticking on their cap this year. And it allowed the Jets to bring him in without having to rework other contracts because the Jets wouldn't have had enough cap room to absorb Rodgers' contract as is. And I think from the Jets' perspective, this kind of makes sense because you might look to some guys for pay cuts rather than restructures. But he didn't give up anything. So what they did, again, to, to protect him in this, at least at the moment, the $58.3 million, at least I think that's what it was, option bonus, was simply moved into 2024 as base salary. It's still fully guaranteed. Um... They took the option bonus that was in the contract for 2024 as well, and they turned that into base salary as well. That's injury guaranteed. So Rodgers technically has a cap number next year of about 107 or $108 million. They cut off the 2024 and 2025 league years. 
Those are those funny money years that he put on there to make it look like the contract was worth less than it really was. So the two sides will have to come to some agreement because obviously Rodgers isn't going to play this year for you know 1.2 million, um, you know, and just defer 60 million dollars to next season. So you know they they will come to an agreement and they'll be able to do a deal. Uh, this probably is going to eliminate them from getting a compensatory pick for Rodgers, but. I don't think that would even be an issue. You know, we're talking about a guy who's well into his 40s by the time that would even occur. Um, so my assumption is they will sign what's visually a three-year contract, uh, probably for right around $50 million a year, maybe a little bit less if he wants to uh, make it look a little bit different. Um, but I'm going to guess that it'll have that optics of being a three-year deal. But when you look at the breakdown of it, you'll kind of shrug your shoulders and say, eh, you know, it's just a series of one-year contracts. Um, you know, there's no real commitment in it. But I, I would guess he'll, he'll still get his $60 million for this year. Um, you know, they'll probably add two void years, so they'll prorate over five years rather than the four-year that was originally in the contract. They will probably not have an option bonus maybe in, in next year's deal. Um, you know, I, I would guess that's going to be what they end up doing. I don't think they'll do anything too crazy creative, um, you know, like the Eagles or something would do. Jets' front office just is never that creative, so it, it would really require some out-of-the-box thinking um, for them to do stuff like that. Hopefully they do, you know, where you're, you're leaving yourself open the possibilities of June wanting him and, you know, all those, all those different kind of things that can come into play. I don't think that'll be the case. Um, so I, I think they'll, they'll agree on something. It'll have the optics that'll make it look like he's playing for maybe forty million a year, thirty-five, something like that. But my guess is that the meat of the contract for this year and next year will be very similar to what he was going to earn in Green Bay, if not identical, just with a slightly different way that maybe the money is accounted for and paid out. So I'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Jets front office is usually pretty slow with all this kind of stuff, so this might take a while. It doesn't seem like it was completely agreed to ahead of time, but you know it, it's something that I, I guess they will um, attempt to work out and uh, you know get something done at some point in time. But that's why the numbers for Rodgers are so low right now. It has nothing to do with him, you know, being willing to play with the Jets for one point two or one point three million dollars. It has everything to do with him keeping his protections for the time being and giving the sides time um, to work out a new contract. Speaking of new contracts, um, Jalen Hurts, he signs the big deal with Philadelphia, $51 million a season. Um, you know, it's an NFL record. It's a uh, interesting contract, um, you know, to say the least. Uh, it's a, it's a Philly special um, for the way that they do stuff. And, you know, it, it's a deal that is, it's very risky, I think, from Philadelphia's standpoint. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad deal. I'm just saying it's a, a it's a risky deal, um, you know, for for what they're kind of doing here. So just the, just the, the basic thing of it is that the whole contract is nothing but prorated bonus money. I mean, I, I was trying to think of another deal like this. 
And I really couldn't come up with anything. You know, the best I could come up with was the way, 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 way back in the early days of the salary cap, uh, the way that like Deion Sanders had signed a couple of deals, which actually caused some different rules to come into play for the CBA. Um, basically, what you have here is he's going to get a signing bonus this season of $23.294 million, And he has 228 point eight seven four million dollars in uh i'm sorry uh two twenty eight point seven four five million dollars in option bonuses in this entire contract and after that he earns the base salary uh, of a, a minimum salaried player in every single season so you know this is a contract that just pushes ridiculous amounts of money into the future to where your first void year on this deal is 2029. And here's how the way the cap breaks down on this deal. So let me just go over the cap numbers first. This year, Hertz is at 6.15. That jumps to just 13.56 the next year. We have 21.77, 31.77, 41.84, 47.15. And then if the deal voids out, it's 97.55 million, which is a obscene number. You know, crazy, crazy, crazy number. Um, you know, so you, you look at that and you just kind of say, wow, you know, they're they're really committing on this because when you've got this amount of prorated money in there, regardless of what's guaranteed or not guaranteed on a piece of paper, you are really, 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 um, you know, throwing yourself behind the player and the one thing that we've learned at quarterback is a lot of times we're overvaluing the quarterbacks that we sign on these extensions. Um, there's some players that does not apply to, you know, Mahomes, of course. But for the most part, you know, we've seen dead money go flying up for quarterbacks uh, because we've been too aggressive on some of these contract extensions. And... You know, it leaves you with some some really bad situations. And that's one of the things the Eagles could find themselves in here, especially because Hertz does have a no-trade clause. So he can kind of control, um, you know, the flow of things, uh, you know, with what, what happens. So if he lands in a Carson Wentz situation, you know, he, he can block a trade. I was a little surprised. Um, sorry, I just uh, kicked off there. Uh, I think I was saying the Eagle, I'm a little surprised the Eagles agreed to, to a no trade um, that's in there. But I, I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, my assumption would be that the way they look at this is unlike a Carson Wentz, who was a top kind of pick in the draft, um, that a lot of teams are still going to be negative on Hurts, right? A lot of teams obviously passed on him. He wasn't a first-round quarterback. So he wouldn't have that kind of market anyway. Uh, if things went south, it would be more of a I told you show, so kind of thing. So I think they probably looked at this and were like, there's not really a scenario that's going to happen to where we maybe would have been able to trade him anyway. Um, you know, and a lot of times you, you, I think you always figure you can convince a player to get traded, you know, that they want to be traded. Um, but still, you know, they, they don't have that that little, you know, emergency button to press to say, okay, we can trade him to get rid of him. 
it, it's really, you know, it, it's it's a it's a commitment. Um, you know, it, it's just a, it's a very long commitment for them. You know, his salary is guaranteed in 2023. It's guaranteed in 2024. It's guaranteed in 2025. His 2026 salary, he gets guaranteed. Um, oh, I don't know why I don't have the numbers down on this. I got to add these in. Um, he gets $16.5 million guaranteed in 2024. Uh, that's of his 2026 salary. Then he has the balance of that guarantee in 2025. I think that's 30.804 million. So that guarantees in 2025. Uh, 2026 rolls around and he earns a $22 million guarantee on his 2027 salary. So, you know, that those numbers that, that follows that same pattern that you see in like the the Josh Allen kind of deal um the pat mahomes deal kyler murray i think to some extent um to where you're earning those guarantees a year before so you make it very difficult to ever cut a player you know even utilizing the june one it would be difficult so if we break down the dead money on this deal all right um cutting in 2024 it would either cost 104 million or 102 million in dead money. If you cut in 2025, it would cost either 107 million or 138 million. If you cut in 2026, the dead money would be 116 or 138. If you cut in 2027, it would be 106 million you know, prior to an option. If you cut in 2028, it'd be 93.7 million. So if you look at this, there's no real out in this deal, right? It's like he's got contractual protection through the guarantees. He's got salary cap protection through the, the prorations on these uh, option bonuses, you know, unless for some reason they were to decline them. Um, you know, but it, it's, there's not much they could do to get out of it. Uh, basically, the the only the only real escape hatch in here, the way that I would look at it, is twenty twenty seven. So you would basically have to June one him before uh, the date of his option. I think is the the way you would have to do that. Um, you'd be able to split your dead money at that point forty seven nine in twenty twenty seven, and then fifty four million in twenty twenty eight. Uh, again, you could do the same in 2028 with a 35.8 and a 57.8. Um, you know, but that that's the way that would work out. So, I mean, th those those numbers are absolutely gigantic. So, you know, I, I look at this from a, a standpoint of protection and how much money you're going to earn and everything else. Um, you know, this is a big win for Hertz in that regard. You know, it's just a really good job that I, I think they were able to do. Now, the Eagles are probably looking at that 2027 year, and I guess what they're probably thinking is, all right, it's $22 million guarantee. Worst comes to worst, we can bring his salary down to that $22 million number, saying we're going to cut him anyway. Uh, so why doesn't he stick here? You know, we'll pay him 22 or 25 instead of 51. Um, you know, I guess that is your... I guess that's your downside protection um, if you're Philadelphia. Uh, 
I, I guess that's what it would be. Um, that would be your out. But that's still, e even with the new TV money, I mean, that's still a ridiculous amount of dead money you're going to be taking on across two years um, if you take on that contract. And honestly, if, if you're talking about cutting this player in 2027, it means that, you know, whatever money you carried in 2026 was basically dead money too and probably 2025. Um, you know, even though the guy's on the active roster, obviously it's not working out too well. Now, for the Eagles, there are good things about the contract as well. And, you know, the reasons why I think the Eagles agreed to this contract, even though the structure is, um, in terms of protection, is very much in Hertz's favor. Uh, I think the big stuff that you look at here, besides those cap hits, um, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things that you look at. So number one is I think the Eagles wanted to make sure that they got in ahead of all these extensions because we're back to the point <coughs> with the quarterbacks to where it's just next man up, right? It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are. We're, we're next man up, okay? Once we broke the Mahomes number, we went back to next man up, next man up, next man up. So haggling over you know, a couple of dollars here and there when you know you're going to extend the player, okay? Um, it's not worthwhile because you've got Lamar Jackson out there, you've got Joe Burrow out there, you got Justin Herbert out there. So you've got a number of players um, who could be out there signing extensions and you're going to end up paying them or paying your guy more than whoever the latest guy is that signs, unless the latest guy sound, signs some kind of outlandish contract. You know, would Joe Burrow end up getting a Mahomes-style deal? I don't, I, I, I can't discount it. Um, you know, but that, that might set a market so high that, you know, you, you're not getting in on that. But, um, you know, 51 can turn to 55 pretty quickly. So... You know, unless the Eagles were not convinced that they were going to be extending him, well, you know, then it makes sense to to get ahead of the market and get that out of the way. Um, the other thing is the cash flows on this contract are very, very, very much in favor of the Eagles on the front end of the deal. This contract does not, um, it's not a market mover. All right. Now, he did reset the market, you know, for about a week or so uh, as the highest paid player in the NFL at $51 million a year. Uh, I think he's the first player to earn over $200 million in the first four years of a contract. Um, but when you look at the raise he got this year, it's $20 million. If you look at other players who signed with the exception of Mahomes, the raises over the old contract years have basically been about $30 million. At least, if not more. So, you know, he doesn't hit the top of the market. His um, one-year new money is $60 million. That's $15 million behind Dak Prescott, $13 million behind Russell Wilson, $12.6 million below Kyler Murray, $8.5 million below Josh Allen, $6 million below Matt Stafford. So, first-year cash flow on this deal is way under... Um, you know, your top of the market, it's uh, one, two, three, four, five, sixth. And there might be players that I'm missing there. I, I didn't include Rodgers because that's just a wacky deal. Um, 
you know, so it's a, no better than sixth. So that that's a big advantage for the the Eagles. Um, through two years, Hertz is at 102. That's still not your top guy. That's uh, third in the league. So he's going to be behind Wilson. He's going to be behind Kyler Murray. Again, that's not counting Rodgers. Um, so, again, you're not at that peak level. The turn year is year three. So year three, he gets to $153 million in new money. That's $3 million more than Wilson. Um, you know, and then you, you've got the 51 and the 51. So oftentimes when, when you see market moving contracts, um, number one, they often push the overall market higher than this. You know, I, I would say that you'd probably be looking for on the, the way the market was at 49 ish. I think you would have been looking for someone to probably sign for about 53, 53, 54. That would have been like a high end market move. Um, you know, where you're you're pushing the salaries by about 10% or more. Um, the second thing that you look at is when you're a legitimate market mover, you set all those metrics that I just mentioned. Um, if not the extension year money, and sometimes that's a that's a little iffy, uh, certainly your first year new money should rank number one in the NFL. Maybe number two if there's an outlier contract. Like if we look at um, uh, if we look at Prescott's first year salary is just kind of an outlier. All right, he can come in a little bit under that. And certainly by year two, you've set the market by a couple of million dollars. The deals that take until year three are the deals where, yes, on paper they're the highest paid player uh, at the position. But in reality, you, you would probably discount it and kind of shrug your shoulders a little bit and say, well, yeah, but it is kind of the way that you would describe that. So I think from the Eagles point of view, that was like a, a big hurdle to clear is that the number, the, the first year cash is under market, the two year cash is under market, and the three year cash barely moves the needle over market. So I think from that perspective, the Eagles looked at this and said, okay, you know what? This is a deal that even though we're obviously committing a lot to him, um, we're doing it in a way that's very manageable within our budget and allows us to kind of, you know, keep things going, keep things rolling. Um, you know, so I, I think... From that perspective, that's probably the reason they, they got the deal done. Now, one of the things that I like the most about this contract, if you look at the overall numbers, all right, so his overall injury protection at signing is $179.304 million. Very clearly, when you see that weird number, 179.304, and you look at his existing old money, which was $4.304 million, you can tell the Eagles actually negotiated this as a quote-unquote new money guarantee, that thing that I always talk about um, that seems to always be lost on everybody doing extensions. They clearly did this as a guarantee of $175 million, with them throwing a technical guarantee on the existing 4.304, which obviously he was going to earn anyway because he was on the team. Um, you know, he was going to be on the team this year, whether it was guaranteed on a piece of paper or not. So 
I really like that because this is one of the first contracts that really works out that way to where it's very blatant that they were working with a new money guarantee. And I think this is something that isn't brought up enough uh, probably by the agent community, in part because they're just looking to inflate whatever guaranteed number they can report. But I've always said it's something that the, the NFL teams would fight back on tremendously. And for the most part, because most of your highest paid players at a position do come from the first round, where you've got that fifth-year option and you've got you know all this guaranteed money uh, that's kind of already in there, you know the guarantees look so high when you report them that I don't think anyone gives a, a pushback on it, and the teams have just been like, no, you know, it's whatever. This is how things go. But in this case, it's a very different kind of situation where if you're Jalen Hurts and you're looking for say, you know, a two hundred million dollar guarantee. It's like there's a big difference. Now, I, I know he doesn't have 200 guaranteed, but there's a big difference between a Kyler Murray who had, you know, 35, 37 million existing dollars in a contract, or Russell Wilson who probably had 45 or 50 million dollars in an existing contract, um, you know, getting a guarantee that totals 200 million versus a guy that has. $4 million remaining in a contract. Because what happens is you end up guaranteeing to match those other numbers a gigantic percentage of the contract, um, of the new money value of the contract, whereas all those other teams are not doing that. So the teams would always you know, fight against that stuff. But here was one of the rare occasions where this was going to work against the team. So they went in there and they actually that the, the traditional way was going to work against teams. So they went in there, it seems like, and negotiated a new guarantee structure, which I think was brilliant by Philadelphia, I think, to do that. But the number is still very, very high. You know, um, I think when you look at it and you try to look at comparable players, which would be guys who set the market that aren't top picks, um, you know, this basically matches what Russell Wilson did back in 20... 15, 2014, I don't remember. Whenever he signed his first extension, it's almost identical in terms of percentage of new money guaranteed, like right around 68, 69%. Um, you know, and at the same time, he does sort of set the market, with which Wilson was unable to do. Wilson had a better resume at the time, uh, you know, Super Bowl and everything else. But, uh, you know, he was able to, you know, get a much better contract with a much more aggressive guarantee structure. Wilson's guarantees were all, you know, waiver wire, but same year kind of stuff. Whereas the triggers here are very early. So, you know, I, I, you know, I like that for Hertz. Um, ultimately, I, I think I don't really look at this as a, um, a five year deal. Uh, I think I would look at this more as a, depending on how the market goes, probably a three-year contract. Now, three-year, I mean, new money, right? So three new years. Um, and I think when you look at the structure on this deal and you look and you see, it, technically this contract runs through 2035. Um, I, I think the reasons for that, I think there's two reasons. Uh, number one is, I, I think, 
this rule, this contract actually extends beyond the scope of the CBA. There's certain rules that kind of pop into place um, when you get to the end of a CBA if you're going to extend a player. Um, so I think this gives them a little bit more leeway in terms of um, you know dealing with some of those 30, 30% rules um, with the contract because they, they wouldn't be able to use the same kind of structure I think that you see here um, in his current contract because you need a baseline number um, you know to work an extension off of. So I think part of that has to do with that and they needed to probably park some big numbers in there because also when you extend a player, um, they have certain rules for um, on these renegotiations. And I, I feel like every time an option is exercised, they call it, they consider it a renegotiation um, to where you can't raise the salary over the, uh, the term of the contract. Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, th this also allows them to do that. The other thing with it is they use these late void years technically as the years they're opting into. So I think this allows them to um, kind of hold off on some of the option bonuses, um, meaning if they decide they don't want to exercise the option, um, it won't cause other money to actually accelerate onto the salary cap because that that's typically the way that it works. Um, you know, in other words, if you had money that you were prorating out into 2030, but you didn't pick up the option for it, the money that was parked in there um, as likely to have been prorated will all immediately accelerate onto the cap. So I, I think this allows them to avoid that um, from happening. But anyway, you know, when I look at that and I see this as, okay, if things go really bad, this is a three-year deal and then they're out of this in 2027. And obviously they're going to pay him 179 million for those couple of years that they're disappointed by 2027 you might have a situation where you have um, multiple quarterbacks who are up for extensions that could move the market so i think it might be a scenario where this gives you a chance to jump ahead of the market um you know on an extension in that year uh they have some roster bonuses in these contracts. It's five million in 2027, 10 million in 2028. Those can also just be converted to option bonuses. Um, I think those are probably earlier. The later option bonuses are in the summer. That gives Philadelphia a bigger window to negotiate a new extension or, you know, a pay cut. If the again things go off the rails and they decide, well, let's just bring his salary down in 27 and try to keep him there. Um, but you know, with that dead money looming in 2029, um, at the very least, you would say, okay, this is a four-year deal with an extension that they're going to really be leveraged on in 2028. So, you know, I, I look at this as really what the, from the Eagles' point of view, I think the Eagles view this as like a 10-year contract. And... It's just, okay, we're just going to wait, you know, until obviously the time is there and we're going to do that deal. And that gives us the ability, you know, if we do that, that by that point in time, you know, instead of a $97 million cap hit, 
we'd be looking at a um, probably a $40 million cap hit again, 45, something like that. And, you know, again, they'll do the same kind of stuff. You'll get a 45 and then you'll get a, you know, 52 and a 54 and a 50 something. And then, you know, you'd have dead money, you know, out in 2036 or something, um, you know, way beyond the scope of this this current deal. And who knows what the salary cap will be at that point in time. But I think from the Eagles point of view, when you look at this aggressive structure, this is pretty much done with it, you know, in mind that you're going to extend them after four years and you're going to look for another extension that's going to run at least five years in length, six years in length. You know, that just makes this a, a very, very, very long-term um, kind of commitment, rela- uh, you know, relationship between the two sides. I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, I don't know if that's too aggressive uh, of a thought. Um, you know, the Eagles, they, they don't, you're not going to be able to get the Eagles probably on a, a deal ever that's below market because they, they set the market with too many of their contracts. Um, so I, I think the Eagles do a tremendous job of getting ahead of the market. But there have been instances where I think the Eagles have overplayed their hand and they've gotten ahead of the market when they really didn't need to. Um, or with certain players where maybe that shouldn't have happened. I'm not saying that that Hertz shouldn't have set the market, because I think he should have, and I I think that the numbers are right here. I just think their contract structure is just, I think it's just a little too much. Now, I think they probably should have fought on the guarantee structure a little bit more, um, you know, and probably done some stuff in that regard to give themselves a little bit more leeway on the back end of the deal versus... In many ways, it feels like they're leveraged out a little bit on it. Um, but I think the concessions that they got here probably make some of that fair. So, you know, I, I think it's fair overall. Um, but I, I think when we look at this, you're going to look at this and say, okay, you know, there's a couple of things. Number one, it, it got rid of the, the silly stuff about the full guarantees, which you knew weren't going to happen. And obviously, Jackson signs right after this for a couple dollars more and also does not get the full guarantee on the deal. It sets the, the officially sets everything at five years. You know, the, there was some talk still from certain people about it being, you know, four-year windows and uh, four-year extensions. But, you know, this has become kind of the market norm. Uh, that five years is the way to go. Um, you know, and this this just sets the numbers for the other guys. Like, I, I thought Jackson would have ended up a little bit higher than just a million dollars a year over this one. Uh, but I can understand why that one didn't. And we'll have to wait to see the structure on that. I, I think that could be more, um, uh, more money up front, possibly, than this one. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see how that turns out. Um you know, and it, it probably sets for, you know, whoever's next to be 53, 54. My guess is one of these guys will hit $55 million a year, I think. If not, it'll be Trevor Lawrence next year. But, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting contract. And, you know, with the Eagles and the Browns, they're really pushing these option bonuses. You see the Bills pushing these option bonuses. You see a couple of teams doing it. And... It'll be interesting to see if this happens. The way the NFL used to be, it used to be not to this extent of this contract, but the contract structures before everybody got into the paragraph five guarantees and 
managing the cap in a certain way, um, the traditional structure was a signing bonus in year one with relatively minimum salary, option bonus year two, relatively minimum salary. And then you let the contract kind of play out. And, you know, because of the dead money, teams were finding themselves in bad situations in year three for players they didn't want to keep. So the league really moved off that structure, especially once they weren't getting forced into, uh, you know, losing giant amounts of salary cap on rookies in uh, 2011. So, and, you know, that, that, that part really didn't, it started in 2011, but it really didn't uh, impact the cap until 2012, 2013. But with the exception of a handful of teams, uh, Atlanta, Carolina, maybe were the main two that did it. That kind of structure vanished from the NFL because of the leverage that it would give to players. Now, it's clearly making a comeback. Some of that was COVID-related. And I think some of it has to do with teams kind of planning for this increase in the salary cap and ways that they can kind of manipulate the numbers and maybe being able to carry more dead money. But... There does come a point in time, even when that salary cap does increase, where eventually the salaries are going to increase with it to where if you feel like that that's a built-in cushion because of the um, increase in salary cap, that'll probably go away. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how many of these teams actually utilize these options in the future. Is this going to be a trend that continues to grow? You know, where we've got more options and more void years? Or is there going to be a pullback once everything starts to settle down with the cap and you start to see the fallout maybe from some of these contract structures? Um, Because, you know, this is very clearly, it feels like a history repeating itself kind of thing with the contract mechanisms um, you know, to where you've almost gone full circle and you're back to 2007 or 2008. Um, you know, there's probably only a handful of GMs that can really speak to that, uh, you know, that, that have lasted, you know, that long and contract guys, um, you know, who have been around that long. But I, I think there's a reason why the league kind of moved away from that. And, um, you know, it seems to be back again now. So, I think that's just one of these things to keep an eye on to see where these things go in the future. Um, all right, let's see. The draft, uh, you know, without getting too much into the draft here, since especially since I'm already an hour in, um, you know, I, I think the main takeaway uh, really on all this stuff has just been, you know, m- more things that, uh, that, come when it comes to trades um you know where where we look at some stuff and you know you look at the texans this year like i don't understand what the texans were doing you know it, it was just a, a crazy thing so they select the quarterback with their number two overall pick okay that's fine that makes a lot of sense and then they jump back up and they give up what's going to be the equivalent of at least like the 11th pick in the draft to trade up with carolina uh, arizona to go in there and get the edge rusher. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, you are a team with a million holes. Every year, 
you are going out there and you are signing 16, 17, 18 free agents for pennies because you don't have any money to sign anybody, like, of merit. So all your guys are sub-10 million. Most are sub-2 million, probably. Um, it's like the, the lowest of teams that get a lot of players in, usually always the lowest cost per player. And you've always, you know, you're always filling tons of spots on the roster because you've just been destroyed, um, you know, through your own management and maybe some extenuating circumstances. I don't know. Um, I don't know why you would do this kind of stuff. You know, th- this to me is a, a clear example of how not to, to work a draft. And it's not just that trade. They did other trades here, too. Um, overall, you know, they lost the value of the second overall pick through trades they made in the draft this year. It's like, what, what is what is your plan? What What is it that you're, you're coming up with here? You know, and I, I don't know if this was a split between the general manager and the coach. I don't know if this was a split, and this sounds more likely that it was between ownership and everybody else, to where you probably had ownership saying quarterback, 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 and you had the guys in the front office saying, no, you know, we we really like this uh, edge rusher. We're not crazy about the quarterbacks that, you know, you go in there and you you do what you got to do to make your owner happy, which is you're taking the quarterback with the number two pick. And then you're just saying, you know, fine, but I'm still going to have my way. And I don't even care what I'm giving up for it. I'm just going to give up a ton to move up and get the guy we really wanted. So, yeah, we've got your guy and now we got our guy. And we've got a lot less picks and our franchise is worse off for it. And, you know, you just kind of say, what What are you thinking? Like, what in the world is that team thinking with what they did? Um, you know, I, I, I can't come up with something on it. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you, you had the Arizona Cardinals who I, I thought they made a very questionable trade, uh, when they moved back up to dress, draft an offensive tackle. I'm assuming he plays right tackle this year, moves to left the next year, I guess. Uh, Humphreys was signed to an extension last year, so he's got, um, this year guaranteed, so... I'd imagine he's playing, I think on the right side is Beecham. So, you know, that that's an older player. Now, they, they did re-sign him, but that's not a big contract or anything. And he's a veteran. Um, you know, he'll, he'll I'm sure, uh, fit that boat of being mentor, leader, whatever else. Um, you know, if he doesn't even make the team, he doesn't make the team. But, uh, you know, other than that, I mean, it was just like a master class in manipulating the draft board. Now, obviously, they, they lost the pick for tampering and whatever else, but, you know, they, they did great. Um, they were basically the polar opposite of the Texans. They gained the equivalent of the number two overall pick, and that might be even higher because I was basing these numbers off the Texans next year's pick being uh, number 32. The odds of the Texans winning the Super Bowl is probably pretty low. So I would imagine that it's going to be a lot higher um, for you know, the Cardinals and a lot worse for the Texans when all is said and done. So I thought that was kind of a great job. The Jaguars very quietly, I thought, manipulated the trade boards very well. Uh, Colts and Rams did a pretty good job too, as did the Packers. Um, 
you know, the Texans are really the only team that was really bad at it. The Giants didn't do a great job either. I think the Giants were a little too ambitious with some of their guys. Um, I haven't gotten into valuing the draft, so I'll try to do that this week uh, once we get all the players in there and their positions. Um, though sometimes getting the positions from college is a little bit difficult. Uh, you know, some of the offensive line stuff doesn't translate. Some of the defensive back, linebacker stuff, you know, th- there's differences in what teams view them as versus what they actually are. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into um, valuing each team's draft next week. You know, just just quick thoughts right now. Um, you know, Atlanta's clueless. Uh, they they take a running back, and I know everyone say, "Well, you know, it's an exciting offense." Marcus Mariota was their quarterback last year. No, I I mean I know they have the kid that they drafted last year in what the third round. You know, you, you're hoping a lot. Um, you know, from him. Uh, You've drafted a tight end and a running back in the top 10 in two of the last three years. I mean, that's not a winning formula for anything long term. And you know what? If the Falcons sneak into the playoffs in an awful division this year, you know, more power to them. But you're trying to build something that gets you to the playoffs, you know, three years in a row, four years in a row. You you don't want to be the team that just kind of squeaks in by taking advantage of a terrible division. Uh, and then the other one was the Lions. Like, I, I don't know what they were doing. Um, they made some trades that were good, some trades that were terrible, and they made some picks that just made you scratch your head. You know, where you get into the running backs, linebackers. It's like, you know, trading up safety. Oh, well, he's got a first-round grade. Yeah, I, I get it. But, man, I don't know. So they do get the quarterback late. Now he's almost probably the same age as Jared Goff. Um but at least that's that's a quarterback with some potential that they can work with, um, you know. So if they if they do make that move off of Goff, that they do have another option there. You know, I I wouldn't be terribly concerned with the age. Um, yeah, I know some people might be. You know, you, you might be a little concerned with that. But you know, this is a position where you do play a pretty long time. I think the age would only be more concerning if you thought that the learning curve was less. Um, you know, that when you know, you're bringing in a quarterback who's 22 um, years old or maybe 23, that they have a lot more room to grow um, in terms of, you know, what you can teach them about the game and how they can improve in that regard. And then I, I think you just question a, a player who's older. Ha, have they reached a little bit more of their peak? Um, you know, and maybe they won't take as much to that. But uh, otherwise, I, I wouldn't be worried that much, I think, about the age. But the the way they did the rest of their draft, I mean, it it's like when you draft that way and you're drafting these like low-level positions, you leave yourself no margin forever, right? Um you know, it's like, so I, I put up a chart on OTC, you can check it out, um, draft salary rankings, free agent availability, I think that's what it was, where basically we look at, um, you know, player values. So for example, running back, um, you know, if, if you look at the running back, so the Falcons, they picked, what, eighth? You know, you need a running back to be the 15, at least the 15th best player in the NFL, you know, at that position at that point in time to justify just the cost of his rookie salary. So that player has to uh, be better than, you know, 
of all players that play running back the minute that he steps on the field. Now, the Lions pick their guy a little bit lower than that, uh, but it's still like a 50-50 kind of proposition. You know, you need him to be better than like half of the running backs, half of the starting running backs in the NFL. Whereas if you draft, um, you know, I'm going to use the the Falcons here as an example. Um, You know, if you draft a interior defensive lineman, you know, to justify his rookie contract, he only has to be better than like 35% of the players at the position. You know, be just simply because of the way the salary structure works. You know, quarterback only has to be better than 15% of the players. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're going into these, you know, just, just you're going into these positions to where you, you can't hit the average return you have to hit that upper percentile. You know, the same goes for the Texans. Like the Texans, the player that they picked at the uh, at the three spot, if you use him as the trade, he basically has to be the best edge rusher in the NFL to offset the impact of trading away all those picks. Um you know, so you're you're looking at someone that's got to be like a Nick Bosa, T.J. Watt. It has to be someone that three years from now, you're talking about as being a thirty million dollar a year plus player, and someone that's a no brainer to get the highest contract. Um, you know, at that position, like that. That's a very difficult outcome. You know, to to certainly to bank on, like. At best, you should be looking at, you know, when we look at these draft charts, you can say, okay, what if we get a upper quartile return? Not the best, but just the top 25% of returns in that range. You know, what would that be? And, you know, for a pass rusher, you know, that, that would probably be someone that would be like the, maybe the eighth pass rusher. You need him to be the one just to justify it. And when we get into these non-premium positions, it becomes the same kind of thing. Like for that specific slot, if, you know, our expected return is, um, you know, X, well, when you, you, you talk about these lower valued positions, you need it to be the upper level of those, you know, to offset the cost, the opportunity cost that you've given up by not taking a different position or what you've given up if you've traded up you know, for the player. So not only are you giving up that opportunity cost in that particular position, you're giving up the opportunity cost of other draft picks, um, you know, to, to improve your football team. So we'll, we'll, I'll get more into this next week because I'll, I'll do more of a breakdown of everything. But, uh, you know, it, the the Texans and the, the Lions, I, I thought, really stood out, and the Falcons to some extent as well, with the way that they approached everything. Um, regarding trades, positional, um, you know, positional decision making, it, it just I, I didn't think was a uh, a very good way to um, you know to run a draft. All right, let's do a little Q and A here. I'm just going to do a quick search in my email for podcast, and I'm going to miss stuff with this. But uh, let's see, Gavin. All right, this is about Lamar Jackson. Uh, obviously, he's reached a long-term deal, so I don't think this one's still valid. 
Mark, a few years ago, the Broncos um, elected to not roll over some of their available salary cap space. I don't remember the exact scenario, but it was a small amount. Stated reasons or something like they didn't want other teams to be able to sign players with the practice squad. Is that common? Or for the most part, do teams uh, roll over all their available space? So they've changed the rules. Um, the rules at that point in time, and I, I don't think it was about players being signed off the practice squad. Um, maybe it was. But it, there, there were rules back then, I think, that existed that you still had to account um, for certain salary cap charges on the practice squad. So I think that was one thing was if you made changes. I, I can't remember if that um, applied there. The other thing that Denver used to do, um, Denver used to actually pay out, I think it was their incentives that were earned in, maybe it was February, um, something like that. And the way that it works, you know, with that, that um, not likely to be earned, likely to be earned kind of stuff, um, you know, they, they just do it all as adjustments at the end of the season. But if you actually pay out an incentive, um, it will all count on the cap. So that gave them the ability to pay certain things out in like February um, that they normally would not be able to do if they didn't have cap room. So I, I think that was one of the things that they did then too. I don't think it was with Chris Harris, but it could have been. Um but yeah, it, it was, it, it had something to do, there, there may have been something to do with practice squad money that they had to set aside. It, those rules may have still been in place um, at that time for like late season practice squad signings. Again, I can't remember 100% on that. But I remember them being a team that did some stuff with incentives in the off season, um, you know, to use up that cap room. So they, they did use it on something even though it wasn't technically carried over. Um, so they did utilize it. Nobody does that anymore. Now, nowadays, they, they've made it to where you just carry it over and everybody basically automatically carries it over. Uh, let's see, not a podcast. I'll try to check this out. Bo, uh, I read that Aaron Rodgers out the door signed a revised contract with the Packers. It postpones 14.5 of his dead money. Is that correct? No. So... It doesn't postpone it. What it did is the numbers that I was always working with and that everybody was working with, look, people don't want to credit the websites. All right, it, that's just the, the bottom line of the way this works. Um, you know, people are not going to credit for the most part over the cap.com for giving you a dead number. People are going to go to the website, they're going to look at it, and they're going to say, okay, if we move Aaron Rodgers, it's going to cost X to move him. Um, you know, and in this case, Spotrack would have had the same number regardless of, you know, what we had. There may have actually been some minor changes that were there that they, they would have made based on some stuff we had, you know, maybe dealing with some insurance stuff or something. But uh, the bottom line is most people would go to the website, they'll look up the number, and then they'll put it out. Well, you know, the charge to trade him is $40.5 million. Because that's kind of... And it's not going to say, well, it's $40.5 million if, uh, you know, based on what Over the Cap says or something like that. And what happens is the deal gets done and you get into the real technical aspects that were never going to occur anyway. You know, the stuff that I was talking about before. And 
you know, one of the reporters will put out there, oh, you know, they, they were able to do this to help their cap to uh, remove $14.6 million of dead money. Now, they're not explaining it. They're not telling you that. And it's like in the same, if before this you were saying, well, the debt is 40.5, now you're making everybody think that the dead money is not 40.5, but instead it's like, you know, 25 million. When that's not the case, this is just, you finally had to ask somebody, well, why are you doing this? Oh, we're deferring, you know, we're, we're eliminating 14.6, we would have had to take in dead money. Um, so there's, I think there's been a lot of confusion as to what the dead money has been because of the way the stuff has been reported. And, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, and we do, you know, for the stuff that we do for free agency and salary cap space, like NFL Network, we're, we get credit on there all the time. All right. Uh, local reporters, stuff like that. You get credit all the time for it. But when you get into these kind of things, you don't get it. It just becomes like, okay, this is the number. So instead of even just pinning it on someone, you're just like, well, this is the number. And then everybody gets confused when you put out stuff like, well, they, they've deferred 14.5. You know, they, they, they eliminated it. Um, you know, the, those crazy Packers, they, they somehow did it. You know, that that's all just, you know, not... It's not being the, the straightforward the right way. And then, of course, when it's wrong, then you, you get the blame. <laughs> you know, I will, I will never forget the Florio stuff when it came to um, Stafford's contract. And he is someone who will never, there's people on his website who do, okay? He will never, ever, 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 ever give you uh, give any kind of mention if you're talking about dead money in a deal, which clearly comes from one of the two salary cap websites, very clearly. When he gets it wrong, and that was what happened with the Stafford one, because we had, and I don't think it was even we had it wrong. I think it was just that it fit in that weird donut period time with roster bonuses and some other stuff to where it didn't match what we had in the little tables. And it matched what we had in an article. And that was one of those times where Florio <laughs> comes out and does an article. Oh, well, you know, according to Over the Cap, it was this. And according to Spotrack, it was this. They were wrong, so we were just telling you what they had. It's like, you never said, well, according to OTC or according to this, you just put it out there. Oh, yeah, so Stafford's got this in dead money. Oh, wait, that's wrong? Well, let's blame them. It's like, come on. You know, that that's just that's just crazy. And then, and I, I still, I remember that one because it, it was ridiculous to get dragged over that. It really was. So I, I even had people from one of the one or two of the teams mentioned to me. I'm like, I have it in an article what the number is and why it's this. It just doesn't show up on the the little dynamic chart that we have because I can't take 700 million different contingencies into plan um, in into consideration for something that happens with a trade, which is usually pretty rare. So it's like I've got this all there. They're like, ah, sorry. It's like, not your fault. 
But, uh, yeah. So that that's that's how that stuff can kind of get confusing. Uh, let's see, Kevin. Um, all right, this is more stuff I got to get back to. Uh, all right, why do teams like the Eagles can, um, or when teams like the Eagles convince their players to agree to post June one? What are some of the benefits the Eagles players should ask for in return for helping the team? Um, you should be asking for money. I'm plain and simple. You should be getting money. Like if you look at New Orleans, um, they've done this with uh, Michael Thomas now, you know, and obviously Thomas ended up signing an extension, but Thomas was at least going to get, I think it was an extra $200,000 by agreeing to the June one. Is that a lot? No, but it's something, Um, you know, I look back again, you know, where I was talking about the quote unquote old days with the option bonuses you used to have players who just couldn't play football anymore earn, you know, the minimum salary or a little bit more by, you know, staying on the roster. Basically, it should be like, okay, why don't you pay me at the very least the minimum salary for the year, um, you know, to be able to cut me? You know, because, you know, in... The, your cap would be screwed. Like if you're an Alshon Jeffrey, all right, going back to that one, it's like your cap would be screwed if you had to cut me. So in reality, what you would do is you would threaten to cut. I would say, oh, you know, that's too much money on the cap. Like you don't really have a leg to stand on. It's like, well, we're not going to pay you your $15 million salary, whatever his salary was that year. And, you know, you, you're, you know, you, you kind of your, your point that's, um, you know, there should be, you know, uh, well, what if I was on the roster and you just kept me on like IR all year and I made the minimum? Like that's the lowest you could get my cap charge down to. Uh, everybody wins in that case. And that that is the, that that's really what you should look for in all these cases, I think is um, you, you should be looking to, you know, basically get a minimum salary because that would be your, ultimate compromise point, I guess, uh, and it's certainly what it used to be, which was keep me on the roster. Maybe I can play if I get healthy. Um, you know, pay me the minimum. I get something and you basically get to delay the way that we're going to do this salary cap numbers um, that are associated with my contract. So I think that's what all those players should be asking for. But again, I think what it boils down to is that the agents are not so much, um, it's probably not the right way to put it, but aren't so much in necessarily representing the best interest of their client when it comes to end of contract. It's like end of career kind of stuff. Um, You're more interested in like, I need to keep a good relationship with Howie. You know, I represent a lot of players around the league and... You know, I want to keep a good relationship with Howie, or I want to keep a good relationship with, um, you know, Kai in New Orleans or Mickey Loomis, if we're talking about the GM. You know, I, I want to keep a good relationship with those guys because I've got tons of clients that are going to be coming through here. I want to be able to use Philadelphia either to sign them or use them for leverage in a negotiation with another team and, you know, um, you know, help my guys in the future make more money. So even if I'm sacrificing, in a sense, my current player, um, 
you know, my overall business is going to come out ahead by, you know, playing nice with them. So I think that that's an unfortunate byproduct of the way the agent business has gone. And probably a lot of that has to do with the way that it's consolidated into, uh, you know, a couple of bigger firms, less people, and really the the, the PA probably putting, um, you know, a very, very low cap as to what you can charge a player for representing you. Um, so I, I think that all plays a role. Uh, second part of the question also, is Harry Roseman very good at persuading or do the players already get some benefits for agreeing to be post-June ones? Um, now, if a player is hurt, um, you know, it, it's it's the same either way because they, they have some type of mandatory protection, um, you know, from the CBA. But I, I think, again, it, it goes down to the point that I was just making, which is um, the agent's own skin in the game in, in this case is much more to agree with the team um, on the, the fate of the player and helping the team manage their own salary cap. Um, you know, there's just more benefit of it uh, for the agent to, to do that. So I, I think that's why that happens. All right, let's take the turn to Twitter. All right, let's see. Alex, who won slash lost the draft in your opinion? What pick makes no sense? Um, so the big winners in the draft in my mind are... Um, Arizona and probably Chicago. You know, if we if we go back to um, you know the halls that you got for draft picks that were pre-draft trades, I'm not going to include the Packers in there with the deal with the Jets because that that involves a player, and I know the Bears deal also involves a player, but that that also involves a lot of draft picks as well. Um, so I, I think those are the teams that kind of won the draft. Uh, I think the Texans are the team that was the clear loser in the draft this year. Um, I, I don't think there's uh, anything with that. Uh, I don't think there's any debate in that. I think the picks that make no sense to me, I think the Falcons going running back makes no sense. And the other one is the Texans just on that trade-up that I, I can't say that makes any sense to uh, you know, to do that type of trade-up for a non-quarterback. Um, and e- even if you want to say for the quarterback, well, you had a pick there already and you used it on the quarterback. So... You know, I, I I think that just doesn't, you know, make sense at all. But, you know, I'll get into it next week where we start getting more into, um, you know, the type of players that were drafted and stuff like that. I I don't get much into the, the concept of reaches and, um, you know, value picks kind of stuff. Like, we, we see that a lot when we evaluate the drafts. Um you know, uh, one of the things that I got asked in the last podcast, um, which I, I'm glad somebody asked me because I completely forgot about it. They, they were asking about, you know, the consensus ranking type of boards or mock drafts in general. And, um, you know, it reminded me, like, I did some research on this. I completely forgot about it, realized I never did a post on it because it was probably so late in the draft process. Maybe it was even after the draft. I was like, ah, nobody's even going to read it. So I was able to put out a post um, this week on it where I went back and, you know, redid some of those numbers. And it's something that, you know, we'll track more of in the future. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to do everything when it came to the draft. But uh, one of the things that was, I I think, or is at least pretty apparent from these consensus boards, 
the players who fall that we say, oh, well, that's great value that, you know, that's first round talent that, excuse me, you know, they got in the third round or something like that. Not so much a first round of fall in the second, but, you know, a guy who's a, a projected first falling to a three or four or something like that. Well, that's tremendous value. When we see players who fall that far in the draft, what we see are those players typically don't end up having, you know, great careers. Usually the guys who fall a lot um, don't do as well as the players who rise by a corresponding amount. And I think the reason for that is that there's those are probably the players where there's something that's being missed in the, um, whether you want to call it the amateur draft um, community or whatever it is. And I, I think a lot of the people do a very good job um, when it comes to that. But I think what happens is, and we, we get all over the teams that, you know, where we see a guy who jumps. And oftentimes we say, well, you know, it only takes one team. Like I, I even said that exact thing, I think, when the uh, Falcons took their running back. It's like, well, there's always a team. Um, you know, and I think that's a lot of, that's a way we look a lot of times when teams jump on a player in the draft. It's like, well, there's always one team. So I'm sure the other 31 teams had this player ranked low, but number 32 decided he was going to be ranked high. And that might be the way that it actually works out. But we don't know that. We, we, don't, we don't have that data. We don't have access to all the team's boards. So it's hard for us to say if that is or isn't a fact with a player who's a big riser or a quote-unquote reach on draft day that we kind of mock and make fun of. But when it comes to a player that falls, well, we know, let, let's say he was rated 15. Well, we know 17 teams passed on him when we get to the second round. Now he drops to the third round. Well, now we know 32 teams passed on him. Some of them passed on him twice. Now we know another 32 times we passed on him. We, we have the data at that point to say, okay, every team in the league is passing on this guy. Multiple times. Why? So there, there is something, I think, that probably um, is being missed that the other teams are seeing, whether that is stuff that actually happens in the interview process, whether that's something to do with medical um, that people don't have access to. You know, it's a very small percentage of players that have those bigger kind of falls, but I, I think... Um, I think we we overvalue those players too much based on probably historical um, returns on those players who are the, you know, the great picks later where you just go, I can't believe that they were passed up on. And the teams, you know, they they they, they add to that as well because they'll do crazy stuff like, man, we had a first round grade on. We, we were shocked that he was still there in the third round. It's like, then why didn't you take him in the first round? Well... Well, we, 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 we had a player that we had a higher grade on, and that's who we took. Well, what about the second round? Oh, we, had, we, we, we just had, amazingly, we, we got three first-rounders in our draft, man. <laughs> it's like that's what it boils down to. Um, but we'll get into uh, more in the draft itself next week. Uh, Brian, what was your reaction to Texans trade up to three and how many non-human noises came out of your in terms of the trade, um, I don't think any crazy noises came out of the mouth. Maybe there was some laughter. Uh, maybe I felt bad for Troy. Um, you know, it's just a, an insane lunatic trade. 
I mean, there, there's, there's just no, I, I equated it to a temper tantrum being thrown. It was just like, I didn't get my guy at two. Well, I'm kicking, screaming, whatever. I'm calling up Arizona. And you know what? I'm going to say, what would you want if I was taking another quarterback? I'm giving that to you. I'm taking my guy now. It was just terrible. Just terrible. And this is why bad teams stay bad. John, how do AFC teams without a top quarterback compete in 2023? Or, they sh- or should they not even try? Um, hey, you're always trying to compete. You never know, right? You know, we, we we look at these things sometimes through, you know, very narrow lenses. Like, you, you need this great quarterback um, to compete. And that's true. But the great quarterback really gives you... You know, more of the the consistency um, than necessarily the single season um, kind of dominance. You know, you, you can be a great quarterback and occasionally miss the playoffs. Like, you know, we, we talk about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers missed the playoffs in certainly last year. He didn't even have a 500 record last year. So it, it's like you, you pencil, excuse me. You pencil in everywhere, and it's like, oh, they got Aaron Rodgers. You know, it's a gimme. It's like, you know, Aaron Rodgers in the last couple of years, you know, it's like they made the playoffs in what? Um, I'm trying to think. Did they make it in 20? They made it 2020, 2021. They probably made it in 2019, right? Let me look it up. Yeah, they didn't make it in 2018. How much did Rodgers play that year? Let me just look it up. Yeah, he played 16. So, you know, Rodgers, two of the last five years, hasn't made the playoffs. So, you know, I mean, that it happens even when you're a great quarterback. But the consistency, you know, they did make it three of five. You know, that's not too bad. That's pretty good. You know, Buffalo has made it like four or five or so. Uh, Kansas City has made it five or five. Um, You know, but you also have guys that have career years and sneak in. You know, now I'm not going to, you know, Kirk, um, you know, Cousins this year. I mean, he's better than that kind of level. But I mean, the year Case Keenum, you know, Daniel Jones last year makes the playoffs. Um, You know, you, you... Miami's whatever mess of quarterbacks they have there. And that, that's probably discounting too a little too much. But, you know, obviously they, they didn't have him in there all the time. So, I mean, there are teams that do have good quarterbacks that don't make it. And there's teams that have bad quarterbacks that every now and then do make it. And it's just sometimes how things click for a season. So I don't think that, you know, if, if you are the... Um, uh, I mean, the Colts are going to be starting a rookie. Texans will be starting a rookie. Titans, who knows, they could be. Uh, the Raiders, for example. All right, the Raiders don't have a great quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, the Broncos probably don't have a great quarterback in Russell Wilson anymore. You you build a team that if you can get a higher level year out of those guys, you know, maybe a career year out of a Garoppolo or um, a much better season out of a Russell Wilson... And, you know, you get your defense to play well. You know, like Denver's played most of the season last year. Um, 
you know, you can still make a playoff run. I mean, the Raiders made the playoffs with Derek Carr two years ago. So I, I, I don't think you can ever... The, the football is... It, it, it's too much of a varied game year to year. There's too many fluke occurrences that happen. And I, I always feel that football is very much a game that kind of has that snowball effect. If you start bad... It's going to go downhill pretty quick. If you start good and you start to get that confidence level and you 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 know you're really dialed in, believing in yourself, and you give that effort, you know sometimes you go out there and you do get those upsets. You do have those games that um, you know normally you would lose, but you you know you you happen to do very well. And then those teams that you pencil in the next year and go, oh yeah, they're they're, they're gimmies to return to the playoffs, you know. They completely misfire. And it's like everything that went good the year before went bad, you know, the following year. And most of the time they, they have subpar quarterbacks. Um, you know, so there, there's no reason to go into a season and say, I have Mac Jones, I can't compete. So I may as well just give up. No, you just hope you get that best season humanly possible out of Mac Jones and that you know, everything else around him works out very well. But I do know there there were a bunch of things that went up where people are looking at it and they're like, well, you know, you've got uh, Aaron Rodgers, you've got Pat, from, uh, Pat Mahomes, you've got Josh Allen, you've got Joe Burrow, you've got Lamar Jackson, you've got Deshaun Watson, you've got Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, you've got Justin Herbert, you've got all these guys. Like, somebody's missing the playoffs. It's like, yeah, and it's probably going to be a couple of those guys. You know, there, there will probably be a quarterback, you know, Jones or uh, Pickett or something in Tennessee or, you know, maybe something crazy happens with Richardson or Stroud, um, you know, or, you know, Garoppolo, like I mentioned. You know, you will get a surprise team or two. It happens Every year, I don't care how stacked the conference looks, you will always have a surprise team or two um, that will make the playoffs. And you, you'll have, you know, some of these guys who are considered, you know, great kind of players and they'll, they'll have a stinker. Two lame Cubs. The teams with more cap room have a bigger advantage to sign undrafted free agents. Like if you're the Bears, why not give a bunch of big signing bonuses and guaranteed money so you can get the best UDFAs? You got holes on the roster, uh, which should make you an attractive spot and give big money. Um, so the answer is no. Uh, the undrafted free agents are capped off at the amount of money um, that you can give those players. So. Your signing bonuses are limited by the signing bonus pool. Uh, your way that the, the salaries work, um, the raises that you can give, is limited by the rules within the CBA. So for the most part, every single player is going to get almost the same exact contract. So the most you can do is just do the guaranteed salaries and for the most part, most teams, the max they'll go up to is a practice squad. There's a couple of teams that will go above that. So, I mean, technically, if you're the Bears, yeah, you could probably afford to go above that. But there's probably not a point. And, you know, even though there's obviously a lot of UDFAs that, you know, help teams out and they make up the majority of the league and everything else, 
even though you have a lot of cap room this year, you know, the stuff that you're doing um, impacts what you do in the future. So if you go out there and you guarantee uh, the full P5 for a rookie this year, you know, 750K, uh, and you do that for five guys just because you can, well, that probably comes back to bite you next year when every agent is looking for a salary guarantee of $800,000 or whatever the minimum is next year. And you're like, well, we don't have the cap room to do that this year. It's like, but you did it for everybody last year. We don't have the cap room to eat those costs this year um, if we end up cutting them. So the most we can offer you is 207 or 210 or 215 or whatever the practice squad salary is. And it's like you end up creating a bad situation. So I think you uh, you just go into it and you just kind of play it normal, um, you know, and go from there. Uh, do you expect Herbert to get paid like Lamar Hurts and likely Burrow, or is he a step below? No, he'll he'll be right in there if he's the last guy to sign. Unless Burrow does a wacky deal, um, I would expect him to. Uh, if he was the last. I would expect him to be the highest. Um, I don't think it's any different than you know Philip Rivers uh, when Philip Rivers did his deal and he he came in. I don't remember the timeline and everything, but I'm going to say he came in above Roethlisberger but below Manning, and Manning had probably signed like a week earlier, maybe something like that. So the only one that I I would see um, since Lamar is in already, I would say if. Um, Burrow signs a deal that's like a 55 or more if Burrow probably gets like a 10-year 60, he's not going to jump 60 million a year. Like he'll he'll be settled in underneath that. How far underneath, I don't know, but he'll he'll be underneath that, but um you know, I I think otherwise he just follows the same next man up kind of philosophy. Uh, what a fun guy. I've seen more teams guaranteeing parts of the salary for UDFAs. How is that not violating the spirit of the team pool for UDFAs? Why do you hate Desmond Ritter so much? Um, so, okay, so let's talk about the UDFAs. Um, the team pool for the undrafted has always been based on signing bonuses. So that first year, that was probably mainly all that was guaranteed because in the past that was mainly all guarantees for uh your undrafteds was the signing bonus and I, I don't know what was the first team to really go above and beyond for all their guys but uh teams quickly figured out that if you guarantee a portion of the paragraph five um you know the player's base salary there that 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 kind of goes around the rules and it gives you an ability to sign the player. Um, you know, so that kind of came into play. And now that we've seen practice squads expanded and you've got the rules about being able to carry guys up, you know, without having to sign a new contract and then clear through waivers. You know, you're allowed the, the two trips up and down without going through all that. Um for your uh, highest regarded undrafted players, teams are more than willing to commit, you know, those guarantees that are like 200,000, 250, 220, knowing there's a good chance these guys are going to catch on with a practice squad, if not on our team, with somebody else. And we're going to get almost all of that guarantee back in an offset, um, 
you know, for, you know, for the team. Uh, Desmond Ritter, I, I wouldn't say it's so much hate. I, I would say it's more just, you know, the odds of the, the quarterback that comes from that part of the draft working out as a long-term starter is pretty low. Um, it's not like there's no chance that he would be good. Um, I would just say that it is a lot lower than if you drafted a first-round quarterback. Um, you know, and I, I think when that's your option on the team and you have opportunities to draft other players, and maybe you can look at it this year and say they did not, um... You know, I, I think you have to you have to do what you can to, you know, improve your team the most, you know, the in the most most efficient manner possible, which is always improving your quarterback position. Going into the year with someone like Desmond Ritter as, you know, you your top your only option, not just your top option, really your only option. Um, you know, I, I think that's just kind of, that's very short-sighted, um, you know, way to approach building a team. And when you look at what you've drafted, where you've got the, the investment wasted in a tight end, I'm not going to say an investment wasted in wide receiver, but you got the wide receiver there, um, you know, and now you've got the running back. It's like, what, what are you doing? Like, is the... Are you believing in the quarterback and the quarterback somehow is going to make something out of Pitts in London? Or are you believing in the running back and the running back is going to cover for the fact that you don't have a quarterback on the team? Like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't. I, I think that the the whole thing doesn't really make a lot of sense. Now, he may end up being great. Who knows? But I would say the odds of him being great are pretty small. So I just wouldn't want to, uh, you know, to kind of look at that and be like, yeah, that's my guy. Um, you know, I, I just think it's very short-sighted for, like, any kind of long-term approach. Shoes, what gets a player to sign instead of wait until a couple of other players sign that are up? Uh, for example, Hurts and Jackson. Should Lamar Jackson have waited until the others had signed? So, um, you know, what gets a player to sign is just, you know, do you meet something that... Uh, you know, kind of hits their criteria. So in the case of Hertz, um, Hertz doesn't have the same leverage as a guy like Burrow, as a guy like Herbert, right? Th those guys are going to have option years that are close to $30 million. They had rookie contracts that paid them a lot more money. As a second round pick, Hertz didn't make that kind of money. Uh, Hertz doesn't have that kind of guarantee for next year, you know, on the books. So, you know, he probably is in more of a position where, you know, he he runs a lot more risk by holding out and not doing a deal. Um, so I, I think what you look for in that case is, are you going to meet certain criteria that make us happy? Which is, you know, we're going to be the highest paid payer, uh, player at the position. You know, the $51 million a year. And we want to see a guarantee and a contract structure that really gives us a lot of protection, which is what they got. And I think that gets you to agree to the deal. 
even though in theory you could say, let's let the market play out. But I think even though he did go to the Super Bowl, I think that if Burrow signs, let's say Burrow was the next one to sign and he signed for 52, I'm not sure if you'd get 51. You might get 50. I'm not sure if you get 51. You know, let, let's say Herbert signs and Burrow signs and they're at uh, 51 and 52. Now you're probably definitely only getting 50. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, you, you probably have a little bit of a harder time comparing yourself to some of those players just based on draft status. Fair or not, that's how the league works. Um, so... I, you know, there is a little bit of risk for maybe a player like that waiting a little bit. When it comes to the other guys, um, you know, I, I, I can see reasons for why you would wait. Like for Jackson, I don't know what the benefit was for Jackson agreeing to a contract right now versus Jackson waiting until July, seeing if those other guys signed and push the market even further, and then signing a deal. I think he could have probably waited. Um, you know, and and people are ready. I'm hoping, you know, when the Jackson numbers come out, and he's not officially signed yet, so they, they're not going to come out for a while. Um, I just hope that people do a very honest assessment of that contract. Uh, I will try to. Um, but, you know, there were already people that were panning it because he didn't get a fully guaranteed deal. It's like, you haven't seen a, a thing, you know, on this contract. Like, how how can you say that based on no information at all? But there were people saying that. It's like, that's not in any way, shape, or form honest. That's just sticking to a narrative you need an agent and then leaning into it. But that might be a little thing where, where you talk about you know, getting into the process this far, you don't want to quote unquote cave in in April when you can wait until July or at least June, you know, see what happens. But, you know, again, we don't know those full details. If they did a Ravens type of structure, let's say they're going to pay him 80, 90 million dollars this year. It's like, well, yeah, of course you're going to sign that deal right now. So, you know, let, we'll, we'll see what, um, you know, what what goes on with that. But uh, I, I think you can make an argument that he should have waited. But I, I think in Hertz's case, I think this was, um, in terms of overall value and protection, this is probably the max upside he was going to get, um, you know, or close to it. Uh, you know, it, it probably not worth the risk of holding out. JP, Jets will surely look to renegotiate C.J. Mosley's contract. What are your predictions for his revised contract based on other signings? So, if the Jets want to keep him for two years and he's willing to do that, I think the market rate would be to basically guarantee him $10 bucks a year for the next two years. So, $20 million over the next two Um you know, maybe maybe a little bit more than that versus well, let me see what he's making this year. He is making seventeen and seventeen uh over the next two years. So basically it would be like, all right, look, here's the deal. Uh we're gonna rip up these two D years that are gonna pay you thirty-four total, or potentially thirty-four total. 
we'll give you 20 completely guaranteed and we'll throw in in 2025 an extra 10 million bucks that year non-guaranteed and if you get there you get there if you don't you don't um so i think that's the number they haven't done it yet so all i can think of and this is the nasty side with the nfl you know or talk about how you know the jets were able to bring aaron Rodgers in without having to restructure anybody and you know mosley would have been a a clear-cut candidate for that it's like this is where you string these guys along you know him or carl lawson or whoever then you lean into them, and it's like, well, you know, we'll give you this instead. You get the chance to play with Aaron Rodgers. You really get a chance for a ring now. You're going to be on national TV. You know, if you're someone like Lawson the last year of the deal, it's like, well, you'll take less now, but, you know, you're going to be on NBC so much this year, and you're going to be in the playoffs this year, and you're playing with the best quarterback in the NFL this year. You know, you're going to have so many opportunities to where, even though you're going to help us win this year by taking 7-5, man, you're going to get like 20 next year, you know, just by, by doing this and, you know, you should because the other option is you, you're going to end up, you know, playing with the Indianapolis Colts with a rookie quarterback for like four million bucks. So just like take a revised contract with us. Um, that's a nasty side of the NFL. That's why every, every, once your guarantees run out, every year your contract should have some type of roster bonus in it. Everybody should do that. Don't fight enough for it. Um, but if the Jets do look to do a legitimate renegotiation on the C.J. Mosley, I would just look at $10 million a year. And I think if you want to get him to sign that, you're going to have to guarantee this year and next that, that total. Tarish, why include offsetting picks in a trade? Like with the five and sixes in the Rodgers deal, I get you want to balance max value, but why not send a direct pick more equated to that value? You end up looking at deals saying X offsets Y, so essentially it was player for draft pick anyway. Um, so I, I think teams do it because n- number one, I, th- there is an optics to it. Um, but I think the other thing is just that sometimes that value isn't there, but I, I think most of the time it's the optics. It's like, okay, if I'm going to do a pick swap, all right. And let's say they're going to send me a five, I'm going to send them a six. It's like, I, I, now I, I don't have in front of me what that net value would be. But people are so conditioned to throw out the value of some of those later picks that I think what ends up happening is, um, you know, let's say as a trade, it was like, okay, let's get rid of doing the five and let's get rid of doing the six and let's just throw in a seventh. You know, people look at that and it's like, oh, they only got a seventh, you know, and it, it ends up looking lousy. So I, I think that's, that's part of the reason why they do that. Um, you know, they, they, remember, this is a very public business. There, there's a lot of optics involved. You know, jumping from 15 to 13, people thought was a major win for the Packers. Dropping from 13 to 15 was looked at as a major loss for the Jets. And then people were going nuts. They couldn't get an offensive tackle. It's like you drop two spots. There's almost no change in the available talent when you drop two spots. You know, if you are if you are pigeonholed into a position, then you've done a, a, a really lousy job of uh, constructing your roster this year. You should never be pigeonholed into a position in the draft. Those players don't contribute enough as rookies to to feel that need that you have to draft that position in a year. Derek, uh, likelihood. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so this is about the Texans. Um, Sarah gets fired next year if they're below average. Uh, based on reports, it seems ownership forced a quarterback at two when they were interested in defensive player. Feels like they could have waited one more year to potentially build something uh, special. So maybe I'll leave this one up to Troy. So Troy, if you're listening, you can do this one. Uh, maybe I'll do it if not. Maybe we should look back at that Deshaun Watson deal and see what they what they actually ended up with because it's like it, you go back on this and it's like you you did all these things that were right. All right, now the Deshaun Watson thing they enabled the the, the ultimate outcome was probably a little bit out of their hands, but you did everything right to try to maximize your draft potential. You've done everything right in that sense the last couple of years in the fact that you're probably throwing out a god-awful roster every year, really not competing for anything other than the number one pick, which they blew last year, but that's okay. Um, You know, that you're doing all these things, but when push comes to shove, you know, you get this result in the draft. It's like, we probably should go back and track that because I feel like this was probably another trade and this happens with a lot of trades we see in the NFL. When you get into using picks that you've acquired from other teams, I think you're way looser with those picks. It's like the concept of, well, you know, I'm just working with other people's money so I'll take a lot of risk. It's like, well, I'm just dealing with other people's draft picks. It's like, no, those are your draft picks. The way to get better in the NFL is to have as many dart throws as possible with the best possible selection of picks that you can get. And they didn't do that. You know, however you want to look at it, um, you know, if you're throwing darts... They, they basically decided they would walk back 30 feet and now they're going to throw that dart and try to hit a bullseye with the way they did that trade. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, that, that that's a deal. But yeah, I think he, uh, he probably does run a risk of getting fired um, based on whatever they did this year. John, could I use OTC as a tool to assist in fantasy? For example, do teams tend to use players that are RFAs rather than UFAs in the next offseason? Would it be better to target those players in fantasy waivers? Um, so, excuse me, the way to do stuff like that would really be, you know, more to look at historical outcomes of players, you know, which as if you're a fantasy player, you, you probably already have a pretty good handle on um, players who are um, uh, rookies coming into the league. But, you know, you could probably look... I wouldn't look so much at RFAs. I think the two areas that you want to look at, and I'm not going to say that I have a lot of data on this to to just randomly throw out there. I could probably run stuff, um, but I don't do that. You know, the the first thing that you would want to look at is historically... Um, you know, what are the performances, your skill position players, basically, your guys who are putting up points, um, in a walk year when you're going to be an unrestricted free agent? 
you know, that concept of, well, you know, do the guys really peak in year four or year five if we're talking about a first round pick? I would say the answer is probably yes. So I think what you're looking at are players who are extension eligible um, or players who are going into the, the you know, the final season, um, you know, their contract. And, you know, can they have that kind of, um, you know, special year statistically, um, you know, they can tip things in your favor from a free agent perspective. Um, the other thing to look at are players who switch teams. Uh, if you ever downloaded our free agency guide that I did a couple of years ago, and maybe I'll do another one this year, um, I had more fun doing the historic free agent tracking than doing the free agent profiles. I did free agent profiles. I didn't do them this year. I did them on a team-wide basis, and that was a lot more fun for me. Um, I don't as much fun doing the individual players anymore. But um, what I did was I, I tracked all the results of free agency. And again, we can look at uh, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, um, you know, the, which are main positions you're really dealing with in fantasy. You can look at players who are free agent signings, majority of which are all players who switch teams. And you can see where the, the changes are in terms of statistics. Same probably goes for extensions, but I didn't really do that work yet other than the running back stuff. Um, we can find an article online about that. Um, you know, but th that's more what it is. Um, you know, it, it would be stuff like that that would help you. You know, like wide receivers. Do they improve or get worse when you get from year five to year six or year four to year five? Um, especially if they switch the team as a free agent. But I, I, I don't do a lot of that kind of research online. Um, I can't say if the fantasy sites do that or not. Um, you know, it, it would be like an area where we could work. I love playing, you know, daily fantasy and stuff like that. Um, but without me really going out and doing the legwork on that, on that data, you know, on those specific sets of players, um, I'm not sure if you'd really be able to use it specifically as a fantasy tool just by saying, okay, but this guy's an RFA, this guy's a UFA. My opinion is, yeah, they're probably going to peak as an unrestricted, you know, it's a guy that's going into free agency. And, you know, when you're looking at a player that's coming off an extension, um, you know, two years removed from extension, you know, I might be like, well, you know, they're, they're probably a guy you want to uh, discount a little bit in fantasy. But if you're looking for, you know, more raw data, I'm probably not going to be able to give that just because I don't do it. Could do it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really haven't... Uh, you know, focused much on that other than stuff that I just use for myself. And that's more for the uh, DFS kind of stuff. Bland tweet, shouldn't the Jets give Beckton the 50-year option? Otherwise, he has a big year and leaves for nothing. You cannot give Beckton the 50-year option. Always hurt. Don't know what kind of shape he's in. You know, it... it Teams have done that. You know, if he goes out and he has a great season and you want to franchise tag him, you lose a couple million in the process, but at least you're not losing, you know, $15 million or let me see, what what's his option? Um, let me look up Beckton's option. Beckton. 13.5. 
So, you know, it, basically what you're doing is it, you'd be risking 13-5 for a player who never plays. You're ready to move him to right tackle because you don't want him as a left tackle anymore. And, you know, your risk is probably looking at a number that would be around 20 next year, would be my guess. Um, 2021, something like that. So it, it is an $8 million risk. More likely you would just end up extending them. In the grand scheme of things, that $8 bucks ain't going to make that big of a difference over a four- or five-year period if you actually get into that extension. Um, whereas that $13 million is going to be a lot if you're just stuck with a guy for a year. So I wouldn't pick it up. I wouldn't expect them to pick it up. Uh, I think it would be a mistake to pick it up. Uh, same new Lions. Lions draft was panned after one round, but now it seems more of the talking heads really, really like it. Positional value aside, is it possible the Lions will be much improved after this controversial class and process? I don't know. Um, you know, when it does come to the draft, I, I'll say this. If you, you take a running back, you take a linebacker, those are two positions that will help you immediately. So even though I'm going to pan those picks, I'm going to say, what are you doing? You know, taking those guys. Those are two positions that probably give you immediate returns in the NFL. Other positions are more of a uh, longer term, you know, return. Even the safety might give them something, um, you know, this year. And, you know, obviously for the longer term is something that'll that'll give them that there. Um So I, I think it's possible that this would be a situation, again, where we talk about you are improved in the short term, but long term, you're probably not improving yourself at all, unless the, you know, the, the guy they bring in at quarterback ends up being like a star. That, that's a whole different ballgame when that happens. But overall, I'd say it's a draft that might help them more for 2023 than other teams. But when we start getting into 24, 25, 26, probably makes them worse compared to what other teams did. Flip, I'm seeing 200,000 guaranteed for some undrafted. What was the top? Uh, I actually did something on that today. Uh, give me a second. Let's see. Top last year, top undrafted. Let's see if I can get this to load up. Uh, Top guarantee last year. Top guarantee last year was $320,000. Carson Strong, uh, quarterback that was um, signed for the Eagles. And let's see, how did he do last year? Name doesn't even ring a bell, so I'm assuming that that was a nothing. Yeah, he had one week on the Eagles on the Cardinals practice squad. So yeah, that that was a disaster for the Eagles. Um, you know, in in terms of that, you had Noah Ellis, uh, two fifty. Um, Zach McLeod was two fifty. Kennedy Brooks was two forty. EJ Perry was two thirty. Kevin Austin two thirty. So those are your top guys last year. So. Last year, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
16 players with a 200,000 plus guarantee. Uh, how can the Arizona Cardinals extend DeAndre Hopkins and Budabaker in an effort to placate them in 2023 with big money and have the contracts be more team-friendly after 2023? There is no reason for the Cardinals to extend either of those guys. There, There is nothing there. Um, they don't really have a leg to stand on if they don't want to play with the teams. I mean, you, you bring them in and you trade them in season. I mean, that that's really the way those deals work out. Ricker, thoughts on the Giants draft and how they create more cap space? Hmm. Um, I don't really have any thoughts on their draft at the moment. Um, I have not looked enough into what the Giants did. They were very aggressive with their trades they made. Um, but I, I, I don't really have a, a good feel one way or the other for it. Um you know, I, I just off the top of my head, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say something with Leonard Williams has got to get done. So I, I have, if, if you look at the cap page, you'll see that I have the Giants slightly over the cap, um, about 150 over. Obviously, that's wrong. So um, they have something else that I'm missing. I, I don't know what. Um, whether the NFL quietly got rid of the workout money rule or something else, um, something that I'm missing there. But, uh, you know, and that happens, you know, when you get, you know, within like 100,000 or something of the uh, salary gap, that that very easily is going to happen, that some teams are going to look over when they're really not. But, you know, Leonard Williams would be the obvious choice. Um, Manipulating Daniel Jones's contract to get rid of the uh, likely to be earned incentives would be another option. Dory Jackson... Um, you know, Dexter Lawrence is going to take some time before you come up with another deal. So really, it would be something with Leonard Williams or just restructuring Adoree Jackson or, um, you know, just tweaking the deal of Daniel Jones just to make certain that everything is um, not likely to be earned. All right, let's see if we have anything else here. Uh, let's see. I did retweet. Uh, looks like I've got some more. Uh, okay, hold on one second. Let me... Let me see if I can pull these up. All right. Whoops. Twitter still does some wacky stuff. Uh, let's see. Okay, that tweet doesn't exist. Can you explain the Hertz contract and how bonuses, cap hit, et cetera, impact this contract and how other teams may structure deals moving forward? Um, I don't think it'll impact too many teams doing deals. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the structure, obviously, before. I don't think it'll impact too, too many teams just because the structure is so aggressive. Um, but I could see the way the guarantees run and the way those first couple of option bonuses run, that that will be something that um, more teams are kind of pushed to do. If not as an option, certainly as a roster bonus. But I, I would lean more towards the option bonus because it does give you more inherent protection in the contract. 
So I think there might be some push on that, but not like five years worth of them. Leo, um, there's speculation Arizona holds Kyler out to tank and moves him next offseason to his contract. No, that, that, that doesn't make any sense to me to do that. Uh, let's see. People defending the Texans. Stuff about the Eagles. All right. I think that's it. So I was able to uh, get through this one. A couple of breaks in between here. Uh, a little over two hours, so not too, too bad. Um, so we'll be back next week, hopefully. I don't know if Megan... I, I don't think Megan has dance competition until May. So I... I'm sorry. Until uh, late May. Um, so I think I'm good next week. So... As long as I can find some time on a Saturday. And I'm going to do a little more basketball now. So I think I'm switching up my workout schedule. I'm going to do a uh, more of a three or a four day a week program. Um, rather than, yeah, I've still been going to the gym almost every day. But uh, some of the guys that I play with in the morning, they, they want to do three days a week now. And um, that kind of wiped me out this week. <laughs> I said, you know, I, I think I need to uh, change my workout plan a little bit here if I want to... Uh, do this. So I, I think I'm going to do a, uh, I, I guess I'll do like a strength program kind of thing. And, you know, I'll, so I'll do whatever workout on the same day I do basketball. I'll probably lighten the loads from kind of what I do now um, a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think I'm just going to try that for a little bit. Maybe I'll throw a fourth day in there of just some, you know, light work. Um you know, here and there. So that, that'll that give me a little bit more time if I do that over the weekends. But yeah, as long as Megan doesn't have a uh, dance competition that uh, kind of throws the schedule off a little bit. Um, hopefully I'll be back next week and we'll do more on the draft. And I'll, uh, I'll do a post on the draft certainly at some point this week where we kind of go in there and, you know, see what your expected return is on the players, you know, how many points they used uh, to get that return. I'm not going to factor the trades in on that, even though I should, um, you know, because it really shows you how much money you have invested in that class. But, uh, you know, we'll just look at it in terms of uh, the efficiency of, you know, positional drafting and stuff like that. And, you know, if the Lamar Jackson numbers trickle out, we'll uh, hopefully get that. If I get a chance on the Jalen Hurts thing, I'll throw a video together. I really wanted to do that this week, and I just did not have the time to do it. Uh, because that contract, the way that it changes over and over again, I thought that really lended itself more to uh, just a little video with a Excel spreadsheet. But, you know, now that that deal is a week old, you know, as crazy as that sounds in the NFL, it's like, well, that's old news now. Uh, so I, I don't know if that, uh, that'll that be worthwhile to do. If you think it is, just uh, let me know and uh, I'll see if I can put something together. But uh, I'll see if I do that. So anyway, everybody have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.